Well, we're going to start a series for these next uh, few weeks on the greatest songs of Christmas. And so I want to just start out by asking you the question, uh, what is your favorite Christmas song? Now, we, we at our family love Christmas songs. Uh, after the trunk or treat, I think even on the way home from the trunk or treat, Amber pipes up from the back seat, hey, turn on 102 and see if they've started. So we turn that on and they had not started. And uh, then within the week, it was all Christmas 24 hours. And I, I tell you, I love that. I love being able to just pop on a station and know it's there. And maybe you've already got your uh, playlist lined up on your iPod or your MP3 player. But uh, it just seems like Christmas and music go together. Do you agree? Amen. So here's what I want you to do. At your tables there, I want you to turn to your neighbors and share what is your favorite Christmas song. It doesn't have to be, uh, it can be religious, secular, or whatever. What is your favorite Christmas song? Although, you know, it, it cannot be uh, Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer. Uh, we're, we're looking for the best, not the worst. So go for that. Because go ahead and share there a little bit. All different songs, and even the, uh, I remember growing up, my, my dad, I get all my uh, uh, decorating and holiday uh, uh, thinking from my dad, and uh, he would have those LPs, I can still picture some of the covers on them, uh, Bing Crosby and, and uh, Dean Martin and Andy Williams, and it was kind of cool to uh, connect the generations on one of our uh, uh, Christmas times, or actually it was in November, we went to Branson uh, and had the privilege. Of uh, it was early in the in the year before Thanksgiving, and so it was just you know old people and us, and so they had already started their Christmas uh, holiday things, and so we wanted to go to Andy Williams' Christmas show, and so we went to that, and they always like to get kids involved. Well, there's you know everybody's over 80, and so you know Amber gets picked, and uh, before the show, and so she gets to go up on the stage and just sing with Andy Williams, and that was just awesome. Yeah, it was just cool. It was just very cool, and uh, so I just remember those kind of things, and then just we, I love the Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, and uh, so we had to go see the 3D Disney thing, and and I was amazed at how many of the Christ-centered carols are played in that uh, in that movie, which I, I thought those would get uh, uh, expunged or something, but uh, they were in there. And But here's what's interesting, and maybe you've experienced this. It, the music is wonderful to listen to, but it, it, it can become syrupy and sentimenta uh, sen sen sentimentality, or whatever I'm saying. Sentimental syrup, that's what I'm wanting to say. Sentimental sweetness. Am I right? And sometimes you listen to this music, or even you watch the movies and the programs, and you begin to wonder, you know what? As much as that I'm drawn to that, there's a little disconnect between that and the reality of my life. That all this togetherness and wonderfulness sometimes is not what I'm experiencing. What I'm experiencing maybe is suffering, sickness, separation, the effects of sin. And sometimes you can listen to some of the, especially the secular stuff, and, and you get that connection and you're like, well, wait a minute, this is, 
you know, my heart is drawn to that, but in actuality, as I listen to it, my heart is broken by it because this isn't my situation. And that's why I like the Christ-centered uh, carols. So these guys are going to come. We're going to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And if you will listen to some of the traditional carols and not just listen to them, but think through the theology and think through the message, think through the hope of some of these songs, you'll find that there's more substance in some of these songs. That's definitely going to be the case of the four... Uh, the three songs that we're going to study uh, from the book of Luke. So let's sing with these guys, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's one of the classics, and uh, it really captures the message of uh, this very first Christmas carol that we're going to be looking at. You know, when you ask the question, where did the first Christmas carols come from? You have a tendency to think, well, maybe colonial America, maybe merry old England, you know, you think of uh, Dickens' carol, or maybe on the continent in Europe, but the reality is the very first Christmas songs are over 2,000 years old, and they are found, four of them, in the very first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. Four of the very first ones are found in the very first two chapters of Luke's Gospel. And these four songs make for a great Advent study, because Advent covers four Sundays, and then Christmas Eve or Christmas Sunday is the, uh, or Christmas Eve or Christmas Day becomes the fifth Sunday of Advent. I gave you a chart of these four songs. Uh, we'll only be able to look at three of them, because we have three Sundays uh, for our class. But you could take this, and uh, over the years... If you've kept these things, you have more than abundance of material to do Advent and, and put, have a Christ-centered Christmas in your home. And so, as you look through that, you can see where they're all located. I listed them in the order that they appear. And we're going to skip Mary's song and begin with the song of Zacharias. And here's what our purpose for the next three weeks. And it's really the purpose of Advent. And here it is. How do these songs... Help us to live in harmony with God's purpose for our lives. Listen, you can do everything you know to do for Christmas, but if you're not living in harmony with God's purpose for your lives, then you've missed out on the greatest gift of Christmas. And so, to put it another way, how can we align our lives with the rhythm of our Redeemer as we wait for the second coming. And I've purposely used those words, harmony and rhythm, because these are songs. You know, so often when we look in Scripture, we'll see these different verses set off in a different way, and they look like poetry. Well, those are songs. It's not just poetry. They are songs that are put into Scripture. And so there's something special, something celebratory, something that should resonate with our heart. And it's my prayer that in the next three weeks, your heart will be in harmony with God's purposes. And that you will not let the busyness or the sorrow or the suffering that you may be going through cause you to miss the greater purpose of Christmas. And so that's really the purpose for which we're looking. Now, to understand Zechariah's song, first of all, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and it comes in two segments. Zechariah's life in Scripture can be divided up into two parts, the silence of Zechariah and the song of Zechariah. And to appreciate his song, you must understand his silence. So so the first thing that we want to look at is Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. And I want to talk to you a little bit about the silence of Zechariah. Now listen, you've got to understand... 
that the Gospels begin after 400 years of silence from God. Israel, God's chosen people, was used to God speaking them to them through the prophets. And the very last pro- prophet, that Italian prophet Malachi, Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, was the last prophet through whom God spoke. And his last and Malachi means my messenger. And his message was this: I will send my messenger before my Messiah comes. And so uh, Malachi chapter three ends. The last God's last word is: Look for me. I am coming again. Look for my advent. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way of the Lord. That was God's last word, and there was four hundred years of silence. And there wasn't just four hundred years of silence. Israel had suffered 1,000 years of suffering under foreign domination. Ever since the throne of David, ever since the reign of David, there had been nothing but steady decline and eventual foreign domination culminating with Israel being subjected by the Roman Empire. So 400 years of not hearing from God, 1,000 years of suffering, and then bring it down to the personal level. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth had suffered the silence of God as they had prayed to have a child. And yet they were barren. They were righteous, they were blameless, they were faithful believers. They had prayed. There was no greater blessing in all of Israel uh, in, in their culture than to have a child, and yet they were barren, and God had been silent. Look at uh, uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Here's what God has to say about this couple. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless, but they had no child. See, that was a disconnect in that culture, because Elizabeth was barren. She was infertile, and they were both well advanced in years. And so what happens for this couple, they're suffering the silence. They have a heartache that some of you can relate to. And if you can't relate to that particular heartache, you have other unanswered prayers where it seems God is silent. And as happy as Christmas may be, you've got a broken heart. And that's why a lot of people suffer depression at Christmas. Because you have these unbelievable highs, and you're suffering these unbelievable lows, and the disconnect between what you want and what is, is magnified. And your loneliness is magnified. Because everybody is coming together, or so it seems. And you're left out in the cold. And you don't get the happy ending of, it's a wonderful life. You don't get a happy ending of a Christmas carol. You're still stuck, and God is silent. And so this is where this couple is at. And Zechariah was a priest, and so uh, he had the privilege of the die being cast for him to have a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to Jerusalem and to enter into the very temple of God and to stand before the altar of, of incense. And incense, the smoke going up, represented prayers. And he had a -a once-in-a-life opportunity to stand before the Holy of Holies and to offer up prayers on behalf of the people of Israel who had been 400 years in silence, 1,000 years in suffering, and to ask God, please fulfill your promise 
Please bring your Messiah. Now, if you had that kind of access to God and you had a desire for a child, don't you think you'd sneak that in too? I mean, you wouldn't even have to sneak it in. It would just be there on your heart. As you prayed for the Messiah, you couldn't help but express that. So let's look at what happens in verses... Uh, uh, well, what happens is, because uh, we won't read it for time, an angel appears. Now, that, that is cause for fear in the Bible, okay? Because they're not wearing diapers and, and hawking toilet paper. You know, they're angels. They're messengers of God. I will send a messenger. A messenger from God shows up, and here's what he says. Your prayer has been answered. Now, here's the beauty of this. Which prayer and what prayer is that? You know, what is that prayer? And so listen to it. Verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Now, what he ought to be praying for as a priest is for the coming of Messiah. And I think he was. But here's the kicker. He gets a twofer. He gets a twofer. He prayed for a Messiah, but God answered the desires of his heart. Look at what he says. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. The desire of his heart. But that's not God's greater purpose. God's greater purpose is the salvation of Israel, and not just of Israel, but of you and I. But he grants the desire of his heart in fulfilling his purposes. Are you getting that? And he starts with his desire and he expands and God's purposes is that he will go before the Lord and he will prepare a way for the Lord. That immediately resonates to Malachi. Oh my goodness, this is the messenger. God is fulfilling his purposes. Messiah has come. And because God is God, we get a child thrown in. You'd think Zacharias would be happy. But Zacharias is just like you and I. Look at verse 18. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? Now he's standing before the Holy of Holies, and an angel has just appeared to him and spoken the word of God. Now how can I really know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. I mean, you know, I mean, come on. But you know what? We're just as ridiculous and foolish and slow in heart to believe. You say, well, well, he had a supernatural angel. Well, let me tell you, we have a supernatural book. And it's just as reliable and just as true. And we say, it cannot be. Well, God doesn't pass over that stuff lightly when you question His Word. Verse 19, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and to bring you these glad tidings. That is good news, the first time good news shows up in the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel. I have brought you the Gospel. But, behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time. Here's what he's saying. Oh, God got the timing off a little bit. You see, you don't understand. We're beyond childbearing age. This is a priest who's read the Old Testament. Abraham, Hannah, all the way through. See, it's not a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of what? Lack of faith and a lack of belief. And God says, look, I, 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 I won't tolerate that. 
But here's the good news. Your unbelief and my unbelief doesn't hinder God's purposes. They continue on, but we suffer the consequences. And so he is mute. And I believe based on verse 62, he not only cannot speak, he cannot hear, because later they try, they make signs, the Bible says, to try to get him to understand. So here's a man that comes into the presence of God, doubts God's word, and leaves unable to speak and unable to hear. A graphic illustration of what? Silence. Complete and utter silence. The silence of Zechariah. Now, why is God sometimes silent in our suffering? Let's pull a little application here. Now, I, I'm sorry, you got to do background when you do studies. And so, you know me. And uh, I'm sorry, we're doing background, and when you do the background, all of a sudden you're like, maybe the real message is the introductory stuff, and so here's some application. Why is God sometimes silent in our suffering? Silence is sometimes due to God's sovereign saving purpose. God's sovereign saving purpose. Why do I say that? Because the New Testament says, in the fullness of time... God sent His Savior in the fullness of time. And this verse we just read says, in His own time this will be fulfilled. Listen, sometimes the reason in your suffering God is silent is because He's working behind the scenes to accomplish His sovereign purposes that He does not choose to let us in on. Because He is God and we are not. And so we, by faith, must trust that when our prayers aren't answered, our desires are not being met, our wishes aren't being fulfilled, that God has not turned His back on us. God is merely sovereignly working His sovereign, saving purposes behind the scenes. That's definitely true here. And you can cry and bellyache and try to manipulate, and try to have a pity party, and God's not going to budge because He's God, and He's accomplishing His saving purposes. And we need to trust Him in that. Because God is always on time, and the right time is His time. And we always agree with that after the event has taken place. We always agree later and say, you know what? I wouldn't want it any other way. I wouldn't want it any other way. The second reason is that silence is sometimes due to our stubborn, sinful unbelief. Now, I picked those words because I know my own heart. <laughs> okay? But I'll, I'll be, let's even say this. It may not be sinful. It may just be slow of heart to believe. I love that in Luke 24. He says, oh, how long will you be foolish and slow of heart to believe? Here's the thing. I don't think Zacharias was doing this. But nonetheless, Zacharias was being stubborn and he was being slow to believe and he suffered silence. Sometimes, listen, our prayers aren't being answered because we are not being people of faith. We are not hearing God, though He is speaking. And the reason we are not hearing is we are not listening with the ears of faith. We are down here doing our thing, making our demands. All right. Now, but here's the reality. And you say, well, maybe you're making more of this than, than is true. Well, no, because when did Zacharias, when did the silence end, and when did the song begin? Listen, look at verses 57 and 64. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. 
And so this is nine months later. We now He's been through nine months of not speaking and nine months of not being able to uh, talk as well, not hearing and not talking. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Now it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. So on the eighth day, the firstborn son would be uh, circumcised, and tradition would call for the son being named after the father. And his mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. Why? Because nine months earlier, that's what the angel had said. You shall call his name John, which means Jehovah is gracious. And so, uh, but they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father. This is which makes me think that he cannot hear what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they all marveled. And then notice, 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, praising God. The silence ended when the unbelief ended. The silence ended when the obedience began. And so it's sometimes God's savoring purpose. You can be obedient and God is still silent because His purposes are being accomplished behind the scenes. But sometimes He he comes to us in His Word and in His Spirit and in prayer and says, I'm ready to do this. And we, we're unbelieving. And so it, it, it appears as though God is silent. But here's what I want you to see. When should the silence be broken? And when should the song be sung? Well, two, re- two times, whenever God's purposes are being fulfilled. He said, here's the baby, I'm naming him. And so his tongue was loose and the song was sung and the silence was broken because God's purposes are being fulfilled among his people. But there's a second time when the silence should be broken and that's whenever God's people are being faithful. Whenever God's people are being faithful to God's purposes... Then the song is sung and the silence is broken. So let me ask you this morning, if you don't get anything else, you get this. Is there a song in your heart this Christmas? I don't mean on your MP3. I mean in your heart. Is there a song in your heart this Christmas? Because there ought to be, because God's fulfilling His purposes. And if you are faithful, the New Testament says that those who are filled with the Spirit make melody in their hearts and sing praise in their hearts. And this chapter is filled with the Holy Spirit. It is filled with singing. It is filled with song. And so whenever God's purposes are fulfilled, whenever God's people are being faithful, you need to ask yourself, am I singing? If not, why not? Because listen, if your song is dependent on your circumstances, then I feel very sad for you. Because you will never have a song. Because circumstances are never what we wish they would be in a sinful, fallen world. Your family will never be all that you want it to be, as good as it may be. It will never satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Your circumstances, your IRA, your holiday festivities, everything could be right as you see it, and you will still have a longing for a sovereign, saving God. 
And so you've got to have a song in your heart that's focused on God's purposes and focused on you being faithful to God in those purposes. And when that happens, guess what? There is the song of Zechariah. The song of Zechariah. So look at verse 64. It says he praises God. Well, he said, what do you think he said? Well, we see what he says in verses 67 through 80. Let's listen to the song. Now his father Zacharias, there it is, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. And you, child, it takes Him all that long to finally get to the Son, which originally was His desire. But what's His focus? His focus has been reversed. He had nine months to reorientate His life. He had nine months to not hear anything but the Holy Spirit. To not read anything but the Word of God. You see, he had maximized his time to focus on God's purpose. And now he understands, my desires are not what is the center of the universe. God's purposes are, and when I center on God's purposes, then my desires have meaning, and my life begins to make sense. And so he says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His way, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring, we sang about that, from on high has visited us, to give us light, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet. Now look at this into the way of peace. That's the song of Zechariah. Let's look at some observations about this song. First observation that you get, it sounds a little foreign to us, doesn't it? Maybe even a little difficult to understand. The reason being, this song is saturated with Scripture. It is saturated with the Scripture. He's an Old Testament priest, and I believe in the nine months that he was disciplined by the Lord. He searched the Old Testament again and afresh and anew, and he was filled with the purposes of God. And listen, that's what happens to you and I in our difficult circumstances. What's inside comes out. What's coming out this Christmas? Is it bitterness? Is it pity? Is it sorrow and sadness? Or is what's coming out the Scripture that you are meditating on? The promises of God that you are clinging to? The prayers that you express in private? Are those being expressed in public as you speak of your hope and desire for the season? You see, the song was saturated with Scripture. Secondly, the song is a prophecy of praise. 
It's not just a song, it's a prophecy. It's a prophecy of praise. And what we have in this song is an Old Testament believer praising God for the coming of New Testament blessings. This is, the, I, this is why I love the Christmas story. This is why I love Advent. Because it reaches all the way back to Genesis. And it reaches all the way forward to Revelation. And it brings all of history together into the person of Jesus Christ. And you begin to see that He has come in the past, but He's coming again. And just like these folks who lived in this tension between the now and the not yet, God has spoken, but He hasn't yet come. We live in that same tension. Christ has come, but not all of His promises have yet been fulfilled. And so we live in this tension, and that tension can get you down. Because you can expect too much that is yet to come. Or, it can lead to defeat because you don't expect enough because He has come. And so what we have in the song of Zechariah is Old Covenant praise for New Covenant fulfillment. And here's how to understand the Bible. Here's the Old Testament. God promises what He will do. The Old Testament, you can write one word over the Old Testament. Promise, promise, promise. Here's what the New Testament is. God fulfills what He promises. You can write over the New Testament, fulfills, fulfills, fulfills. And here's the irony of you as a New Testament believer. We live in the now, not yet. He has come, the promises have been fulfilled, and yet not, what? Fully fulfilled. Because sin still reigns. You know, I mean, this is the beauty beauty of, of Christmas songs. Peace on earth, mercy mild. Man, I mean, watch the news, will you? There's not much peace and there's not much mercy going around. Why? Because Christ has come, but not all the promises have yet been fulfilled. But because He came, they will be fulfilled. This is truly the meaning of Christmas. So two lessons to learn. The first lesson is this. To to persevere through your silences... To persevere through your suffering, we must know and claim God's promises. We must know and claim God's promises. Listen, if you're going to be faithful to the finish, then you've got to meditate, claim, and apply God's promises to your present problems. Number two, to praise Him in song, we must be willing to do our part in fulfilling His promise. I think the beauty of this is amazing. God is fulfilling His purposes. It's not dependent on Zechariah, but here's the point. Zechariah doesn't sing until he obeys. Zechariah doesn't enjoy until he obeys. Once he writes, His name is John. Filled with the Spirit, trusting in God's Word, then the song is sung. Now, those two things right there are worth the price of admission today. Those two things right there will get you through whatever you're facing if you'll just apply it to your heart. One, uh, two more observations. The song has one main theme. And the theme is this. God has broken the silence to save His people from their sins. This is the beauty. After 400 years, God has broken the silence. After a thousand years of suffering, the Deliverer is coming. The enemy will be defeated. And so, 
He says, look at verse 68. This is the whole theme of the whole song. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. Why? For He has visited and redeemed His people. He has visited. Beautiful word, visited. It's what Advent means. Advent and visited means the coming. And here's what the beauty of this word. Let me give you the word picture. It's the word picture of someone personally getting involved in the problems of others. It's, it's a picture of God looking from the heavens down on our misery and saying, I'm going to show them mercy and I'm going to come down and get involved in their suffering. I'm going to be the solution to their problem, but I'm not going to dictate from on high. I'm going to get, come down and get involved in their lives. You see, that's what we should be doing at this time of year. Instead of feeling sorry for ourselves... Instead of getting focused on what I don't have, we need to look out and visit the less fortunate. This is why we're doing Adopt a a Family. This is why Randy is having a dinner for the Awana parents, and we tend to look at these things as peripheral, and they are central to God's saving purposes. And instead of being a, a bother to us, we should be looking at an opportunity to be so Christ-like and to show misery in those, uh, show mercy to those who have greater misery and to get personally involved in touching and feeling and seeing the less fortunate. Could I, I mean, is this on? Can we get an amen? Can we say, yeah, that's, that's, that's where I need to grow. That's where I need, to, I need to get involved in that. So listen to this. God's one purpose is now being accomplished in two advents. Spiritually and partially now at His first advent. Here's the thing. God is meeting our spiritual misery now. But you say, I've got physical misery. Maybe I've got a friend who's got cancer. Maybe I have cancer. Maybe I've got things going on that just will not be changed. Well, that's all right because God will physically and completely accomplish His purpose in the not yet of his second coming so you've got to understand the now and the not yet we live in that tension all right i cannot continue with that last observation about this song this song has two major verses two major and it probably should say stanzas because i don't want you to get confused with bible verses is stanzas right terry you're a musically inclined person Two parts of this song is what, as a layman, I would say. Two parts in this song. One theme, but two parts. And and, and, and here's the two parts. Look at verses 68 through 75. In verses 68 through 75, the focus is on God breaking the silence to save us. But in verses 76 through 79, the verses, the, the focus is on John who will break the silence by preparing the way for the Savior. So God breaks the silence in the first part. John breaks the silence in the second part. So the verse verse, it means this. He broke the silence to send His Son to save us. He broke the silence to send His Son to save us. The second verse, we break the silence to praise Him and share the good news with others. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I stand in awe of that. I mean, I, I plan ahead. This is what I was planning to do. But 
I stood back this week, and as I studied that, I was amazed at how God is working this in our lives right here in our class. Because what have we been studying down here for the last month or two? Silence is not an option. What should we be doing? We should be breaking the silence. And the reason we break the silence is because God broke the silence. 2,000 years ago, He spoke and He sent His Son. And we are to follow in the footsteps of John And we are to prepare the way of the Lord in the hearts of lost people. And we are to break the silence. Now is not the time to be silent. Now is not the time to be focused on our own self-pity. Now is not the time to be retreating. Now is the time to be advancing because the sun has come. He's coming again. And God has broke the silence. Now we come to the real lesson. But actually, we don't come to the real lesson. I think that was the real lesson. But let me give you in this song eight reasons, and we're not going to go through them obviously in depth. But it comes down to eight reasons why we should break the silence. Eight reasons of what, uh, eight, eight, uh, this is what we should be saying to people. This is what we should be celebrating. This is what Christmas is about. So as you listen to the songs of Christmas, ask yourself, are the songs I am listening to, are they filled with these kind of messages? Because these are the messages of Christmas. So let me give them to you. First purpose or reason for breaking the silence is, number one, God has come to remember His covenant promises. God has come to remember His covenant promises. Look again in verse 72. He has come to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant. And verse 70, all that He is doing, He has spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets. I don't have much to say on this point except this. Have we forgotten what God loves to remember? Have we forgotten what God loves to remember? And you know what God loves to remember? His Word. He loves to remember His Word. And now is the time, wherever you are in life, to get into this book and to claim these promises and listen, every time, I don't, you know, I, I don't care how much you know about God, how much you've studied, you can be the greatest theologian, and every time you get into this book, you are humbled by how little you know and how differently we think than what God thinks. And what, what, what I find is, no matter how much I know about this book, I don't know enough. And every time I encounter God and I realize, oh, I forgot that. Oh, I have forgotten that. Oh, I'm not applying that one. Oh, I'm not thinking right here. And listen, if if you don't remember this book in times of your sorrow and your suffering and your sin, you're going to listen to the world, the flesh, and the devil, and you're going to approach life backwards. I could say something more definite, but it's going to be backwards. It's going to be upside down. It's going to be backwards. And your suffering is going to increase, not decrease. Number two, God has come to redeem His people. God has come to redeem His people. More than anything this, in verse 68, for He has visited and redeemed His people. And this is what I think is unbelievable. And this gives hope to you and I in our unbelief. 
is Zechariah goes from unbelief to so believing God that he speaks in the past tense. I mean, all that's happened is a baby was born for goodness sake. And you know what he says? Well, God has visited. God has redeemed. It's as good as done. Because when God starts something, He finishes it. And God wants to buy us out of the bondage of our sin. And so if you're in bondage to guilt, if you're in bondage to sin, if you've got a sinful habit that you would be so embarrassed if it was played on this screen today, and you say, I can't get out of this, I can't find it, I I challenge you, meet the Redeemer. He sets captives free. That's what He came to do. And shame on any of us who name His name and continue in our sin. I don't mean occasionally sinning. I don't mean, you know, we're always tempted to sin. I mean just living in it like a pig lives in smud and slop. Because that is so contrary to why He saved us. He saved us to set us free. This is why when John grew up, he looked at Jesus as he came to be baptized, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sins of the world. So don't wallow in your sin. And don't don't waste away with guilt and regret. Embrace the Savior because He's come to redeem. Listen to Matthew one twenty one. The angel said, and she will to Joseph, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Number three, God has come to raise up a horn of salvation. <laughs> now, is that not foreign to our, our? You know, when's the last time you used that little phrase? You know. I'm going to go out here and raise up the horn of my salvation. What does that mean? The raise up, it's a beautiful picture though. Raise up a horn of salvation. If you were in that culture, that wasn't a culture of nukes and and, and high-tech military strength. It was a nation of of rural animals and, and the greatest, most powerful animal would be like the ox. And he would have those mighty horns and you wouldn't get in the way of some of, of an angry ox because he'd gore you and tear you up. And that's the picture of strength. Listen to Psalm 92, verses 10 and 11. David speaks to God and he says, But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil and my eyes have looked exultantly upon my foes. Why? Because I have power, I have strength. And so listen to verse 69. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As you go on through and study this verse, the horn of salvation, there's only one person or one other time, or uh, there's only two times it's used in the Old Testament and both times it refers to God. God is the only one strong enough to bring salvation. And yet, who's going to be the horn of salvation? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. And that means He's more than a good teacher. That means He's more than a religious leader. Who is Jesus? He is God, the very strength of salvation. And He is a sovereign Savior. He is greater than your sin. He is greater than your unbelief. He is greater than the forces of this world. He is greater than the devil. 
And that's our Savior. And the horn of salvation has come. I want you to read to you Psalm 18. Because he says he'll raise up this horn in the house of David. And in Psalm 18, David speaks of God as the horn of salvation. Listen to what he says. And then I ask you, is this what resonates in your heart? I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. That's the heart of Christmas. Number four. The horn is raised so that He can reign. Christ has come to reign over His kingdom. Christ has come to reign over His kingdom. What is a king without a kingdom? And yet, this is what the Advents are about. What's the first Advent tell us? The king has come. The king is born. The cradle is his throne. But what does the second Advent tell us? The king that was born in a manger will come and reign and judge and rule. And every agnostic, every atheist, every unbeliever, every rebel will be brought low. He will be brought low. He's going to come and He's going to reign. You say, well, He's not reigning yet. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And one day His feet will touch on this earth. The question is, when His feet touch, will we be in submission to Him? Or will we be off doing our own thing? Number five. He comes to rescue us from our enemies. He comes to rescue us from our enemies. Now, I don't want you to spiritualize that too quick. See, what we tend to do is we tend to take this and say, oh, that's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you're right. He delivers us spiritually. But please understand that the majority of Christmas, uh, the majority of Christians this morning, that is not a verse to spiritualize. You know why? Why? Because they're living under governments that repress them, that hunt them, and that persecute them. And we need to begin to get this mentality because our governments, in the, in the future, it will only get worse, will be more hostile, will be more antagonistic, and will seek to persecute us. And if not, and, and listen, if we don't have this mindset, you know what we're going to do? We're going to get bitter and think, God, you let us down. Or it's those, 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 those darn Democrats, those darn Republicans, those darn politicians and we'll miss that God never said He would rescue us now. He will rescue us when? At the second advent. And what we need to do now is persevere by claiming His promises and by being faithful to His purposes and singing the song. Not griping and complaining. And I'm as guilty or tempted towards that as, as anyone here. But I know better. And I need to live better. And so do you. We tend to spiritualize this rescue from our enemies. But listen, we can say in the face of death, Oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? My victory is in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You can take it all away and I still have what's most important. Number six. He came to release us from the bondage and burden of our sins. 
Notice verse 77. He came to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of sins. And when you see that word remission, you can think, well, that's the same thing as redemption, but it's slightly different. The, the word means to release. And it means two things. It, it's the picture of a prison door being open and prisoners set free. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And it's also the picture of a debt being canceled. And both of those things are true of us. We were captives to sin, and we were in debt to God. We had a debt we could not pay, and Jesus came and paid a debt He didn't owe. And that's the beauty of Christmas. And that's the release that we have. You say, how is this release accomplished? This word, remission of sins, is used throughout Luke in the book of Acts. And it really comes this way. It's the message of John. John, John grew up, and here's what he said. He preached the gospel and he said, repent for the kingdom is near. You know how you release people? You preach the gospel to them. Let me ask you, how many people have you preached the gospel to this year? How many people have you shared the death, burial, and resurrection with this year? And I can tell you how many people were released if you didn't share because they don't get released any other way. they got to preach the gospel, repent of their sins, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, here's the thing. We want to see people saved. We want to see our friends and neighbors saved. But if we don't get out of our comfort zone, get off our couches, turn off our TV, get off of our pity parties, and get centered on God's purposes, and get bold in the Holy Spirit and begin to share the good news. You say, well, I don't have anybody to share with. That's because we haven't had the mercy to get involved in their misery. And so what happens when they accept the gospel? Number seven, He came to recreate us in His image. He came to recreate us. I love verse 74. We think that salvation begins and ends with the forgiveness of sins. But look at verse 34, uh, 74. He came to grant us being delivered from the hand of our enemies. Why did He save us? That we might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him. And how long do we serve God? All the days of our lives. You see, some of us are hitting midlife. You know, look at somebody. Not you. You're lucky. Some of you are hitting midlife. Some of you are over the hill. Hey, Vic, just happened to see you there. You had a 50th birthday this week, didn't you? <laughs> we celebrated it on Facebook. <laughs> is this time for retirement? Is, <laughs> is this time to back off from the things of God? Not if you're redeemed. Not if you've been released. We serve before Him all the days of our lives. Simeon, Anna... We're going to see these guys in the weeks to come. Finally, he came to reach out to others with the good news. Don't you love verse 79? A new day is dawn. There's light for those that sit in darkness. Light for those who sit in the shadow of death. Light for those who have no peace. We are here to share with others. So let me sum up. Here, I, I got excited this week. We're here to break the silence, folks. And there's two ways you do it. You sing His praises in spite of your suffering.
You sing His praises in spite of the silence. But you also share the good news and you prepare hearts for the gospel. I was so pumped up this week. Got the opportunity to go again to my neighbor. And you've, I've talked to you much about Milton. With the intent of one thing. I'm just going to share the gospel. I got to go over there and, and say, you know, Milton, when my mom died, I mentioned how I knew she was in heaven. And that's the greatest gift anyone can give someone. And we love you as our neighbor. And we want you to be in heaven. And I know I need to do that is what he said, but not yet. And so I brought that up again. And I always talked for 45 minutes. And you know what? That topic just won't come up naturally, folks. That topic doesn't come up. You can pray and you can wait for the Spirit and it does not come up because that is our part to play. It is our part to break the silence. So Milton, remember when you said that. What do you think about that? And we had just been to a funeral of a neighbor on our street, uh, Harold Jenkins. And Tyrone had preached the message and had preached the gospel. And we had sat with, with him and I knew he had heard it. Hey, what would you think of the funeral? Brought all these things up. Messy conversation. No, no, I can't lay it out for you. Because that's the way it is. It's messy stuff. And his heart response was, you know, I've done that. I've done it a couple of times. Of course, my theological meter is going off. You've, you've done this twice. You know, but that's not the issue at that time. Something's changed. He's been watching some TV preachers. Uh, my heresy meter goes off. <laughs> Now's not the time to talk about that. The point is, in several times, in several ways, in his own way, he's made that decision, he says. So we talk a little more. And I, I, I can't lay it all out. It's messy. I don't know what it all means. But it's a different. It's a change. And so we talked about sin. And he started asking questions like, I probably have sinned more than I ever realized. What is, you know, how do you know when something's sinning? And we started talking about, he started saying on his own, you know, how do I know if this is stuck? And, and I'm like, well, I don't even know what you've done. <laughs> you know, but he's talking this way. And we start talking about how God holds on to us and, and all these kind of things. And then he's, he says, well, I said, well, you know, one, we started talking about making it. And he said, do I make it public? And I said, well, you know, that was the door I was waiting for. So well, yeah, you know, baptism. And, well, yeah, baptism. Do they still do that in churches? So we got a ways to go. But the good news is, is God has used the loss of His wife to take that which He had hoped in to show Him what a greater hope is. That's good news. But you've got to break the silence. You gotta break it. You gotta break it. And that conversation included two hours of listening to a lot of grief and a lot of loss and a lot of sadness of a man who's coming down to the end of his life. The kind of people that are all around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have broken the silence. I thank you, Lord, that the song can be sung. And there are some who are facing unbelievable hurt and pain, and prayers have not yet been answered, and things look bleak. But I pray, God, that we would claim your promises. 
we would align our hearts with the harmony of your purposes. We would find the rhythm of our Redeemer and the song song would be sung and the silence would be broken. And we wouldn't let the political correctness and the secular nature of our world silence us from God's greater purpose in our lives. We have so much to celebrate. May this be the greatest Christmas because we understand God's purpose is better and because we invite people to become a part of those purposes and to be set free from their sins. We pray this in Jesus' name because He's the Redeemer and He's the Ruler and He's the Savior. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen.